0: Justin Cuthbert, Alish 4FAR, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Happy hump day. We're coming to you live back in the studio. Not at the ballpark today, but that was a fun little treat. And we are going to immediately throw. We couldn't even get through the music to start. We're going to throw to Ross Atkins, who is going to be joining us live. We're going to simulcast this one. uh, Speaking to media right now. So we should just throw it down to Ross Atkins at the Rogers Center to start off our show would we'll love to get your thoughts on what you saw from Alec Benoa
1: yesterday, last night. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the interesting thing about sport is we can often fixate on the you know, recent outcomes. And I think just like in any uh, process and any team-building environment, it's really important to step back and think about the body of work, which has been so good for Alec. So um, that's what we're focused on.
0: Was there anything that you saw yesterday that um, you could take away um, moving forward, uh, given that he had a different lineup, obviously, with Detroit, but he had a terrific start in Detroit? Mm-hmm. What you saw last night, do you feel like that was the blip, and then moving forward, you could see more of a positive? Yeah.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, just thinking about how hard he has worked um, and, and over the course of his entire career, and then making some significant adjustments as he uh, you know, was back in the minor leagues and working from a development aspect where the competitive environment was pulled back for some time and uh, his commitment to that process, how authentic it was, and then to see uh, the first outcome of, of Detroit being so positive. And yesterday we do see as a blip and are extremely encouraged by the body of work.
0: We just saw Hanchner, you uh, head out to the outfield. Um... When the time comes for him to to join your club, um, where are you at as far as having a six man rotation?
1: We'll see. I mean, there there is some depending on the schedule. There's some reason to consider that without the off days. I think we have 17 in a row, and so that's something we're talking about. There's a lot of variables, uh, but having that as an option would be um, a, a good thing.
0: Where is Chad Green as far as when fans can expect him back?
1: He is, uh, you know, he, he's, he's really uh, progressing exceptionally well. He has had uh, a, a really solid recovery over the course of um, his rehab, and I think he's going to be in a game on Saturday. Um, you know, everything, every step of the way, we've just seen progress, and he feels really good. He's recovering really well. Uh, the the stuff is there, and I think it's going to continue to trend positive. I think the difficult thing is putting a concrete timeline on, timeline on it, uh, but the fact that he's going to be in a game and facing hitters with umpires on Saturday is the next step.
2: Ross, now that you have uh, Alec back and Ryu close, how does that change your priorities or what you need ahead of the trade deadline?
1: I, yeah, it's a good alternative, right, that we have or a good option that we have some depth internally that, um, you know, we feel very strong about their their track records, some of the playoff experiences, um, you know, some of the just overall experiences as, as very, very good performers. Uh, but we have to, and we're certainly optimistic that we're going to have them as options but we also have to plan for in the event that we don't if someone has a setback uh, performance or injury but that's the case for everyone so uh, you can never have enough pitching as they say so we have to contingency plan but having that as a starting point is a good place to be
2: and now that we're fairly close to that deadline uh, where are your priorities
3: elsewhere where do you want to improve this team
1: it's it's interesting. Our team is we've had such good performances from our position player group. We have uh, across the board. You look at every position and and feel really good about the contributions we're getting. And you know, thinking about how to potentially upgrade uh, is is really difficult when you also believe in the people that are here and the and that they're going to continue to have progress and and make strides. We certainly don't need. Um, significant upticks you've seen recently with just some of the more timely hitting which we know in in some cases can be very much luck driven Um, but you can't fall back on that of course so we believe in this group so much that making it better um, we have to work to do Um, hard to do without some level of subtraction but we do think there's a way to add a little bit of offense to the team without having to subtract anyone and on the pitching side I think every team in contention is trying to add a reliever, um, and then every team in contention is trying to add some level of starting pitching depth. So there's different ways to do that. Um, I think we're in a relatively strong position, but we need to work to improve upon it as well.
4: So in terms of, like... Uh- starting pitching that ad, would you characterize your need more as on the depth end or would you sort of be looking for someone that could be inserted into the rotation like immediately? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think it, I think it obviously depends on the price. So it's, it's, um, when you start to define depth, then the ability to option someone also becomes exceptionally valuable. And in some cases can be as valuable as that higher end, more rental market. Mm -hmm. Um, so price will be important, what it means, the the state of our rotation closer to the deadline will have some relevance, um, you know, how we're feeling about guys recovering that are new into the fold like Chad Green and Jin Ryu. Uh, so all of those pieces matter, but we're open to either.
4: You mentioned like every contending team's looking for relief um, pitching. How your, perfor- or how your bullpen has performed, how has that <coughs> shaped your need? Um, is there a certain type you're looking for or like how, how do you look at it?
1: You know, the we're we're very right-handed, so I think we're not we're not fixated or by any means, uh, you know, uh, even more focused on left-handed. But I think that would be uh, where, from an idealistic standpoint, creating depth there. So creating depth in our left-handed relief um, category, but uh, it's more just who's going to allow us to get the most outs. Um, having some flexibility as you look to add if if things go exceptionally well for us and um, we are adding Yunshin Ryu, we are adding Chad Green, we haven't had setbacks, it starts to really get hard to add to that group without some flexibility in the form of an option, but we still have the ability to do it and that's where you want to be as a winning team. You want to have those really tough decisions where uh, you may have some really good players in AAA. Ross, generally speaking, how would you assess the trade market right now? Is there one position or skill set that's more readily available than the other? Is there one that's particularly scarce? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, when you're in the, the buy mode, it never feels robust, <laughs> you know, especially as you start to peel back the layers and, um, you know, look under the hood, It, it you know, you're looking for perfect at this point. And if you are, going to strike on perfect you're going to pay a huge premium so what we see are ways to make our team better we've identified those we've expressed interest to other teams we feel like there will be opportunities to do so
3: with the team
5: sitting in the position that it is not just like standings wise but overall in the arc you know a championship contender as opposed to a playoff contender would you be more amenable now to pay that value for pure rental if the fit is right than you have in the past
1: we, well, I mean, we've always been willing to, you know, move on a rental depending on you know whether it's two month or a year and a half. There's some like a pure yeah, so just a two month, and we've done that obviously in years past and had some success there. So, um, absolutely open to that. Um, you know, paying the absolute premium for two months of a player to say yes or no on is too difficult to do. I mean, it's just like yes, we're open to it, but but are you referring to would we? trade from the top of our system for two months of a player it's just well, I mean, you
2: can't yeah.
1: that specifically right you know, but, like, but we're, we're open to it I'll sure Rod, or, sorry
6: we're going to get the chance to speak to arjun namala later today what do you <coughs> uh, like about him as a draft pick and obviously signing him?
1: yeah you know as much as you can learn about someone from you know reading about them from watching them video from hearing about them from having some distant interactions there's nothing like being in person and for me the first time when was was when he was here and I've been you know, for well over 20 years, 23 plus years, uh, been in an environment like this where you bring a first round pick into it and seeing how they interact with other players, seeing their ease in and around the environment is very telling for me. It's one of the things that's so attractive about Vladdy and Bo and Cavan that have been around the environment for some time. It was clear that he was very comfortable, appropriately comfortable, very respectful. He seems to have all of the foundation for what's ahead of him, for all of the challenges that are ahead of him, and the talent is clear. So that was, um, you know, we were as excited as we could be, but then taking another step and having that experience with him here in Toronto was, was exceptional for me.
2: Ross, what's unique about this swing?
1: Uh, The high finish that has a little bit of an abruptness to it at the end has some unique nature to it. I think there's some other players like that. I'm not comparing him to these guys, but Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts have a little bit of a higher finish with a little bit more of abrupt finish. But um, the most unique thing to me is how quick and powerful it is.
2: In the last few uh, years, you guys have gradually added payroll. Um, is that possible
1: for you guys at this trade deadline to continue adding payroll? Yeah, we've never, we've never, we have had just the from day one, uh, just incredible support. And uh, our job is to make sure that we are um, very responsible with that support.
3: So, Russ, is that a is that a yes? <laughs>
1: yeah, we we've never, you know, if we have an opportunity that we feel is the appropriate opportunity, we. We present it, and you know we have the agility to be able to have that quick of an interaction. Ross, you guys have had a, a pretty set roster for most of the year, so your needs aren't maybe as clear as maybe previous years in terms of trade deadline stuff. Does, yeah. that, does that make your job harder at this time of year? Does it make your job easier? Like, How do you look at that compared to previous seasons and what you need to get done? Well, I, w- I would definitely say you would rather be in that position where it is, quote-unquote, harder to make your team better. Having said that, we realize we need to do so. You know, we need to make this team better in any possible way and not just rely on the guys that are here, although we believe in them wholeheartedly. If you look historically, teams that win the World Series have made additions, have tried to fill wave, make their team better any possible way at every juncture um, that you can acquire players. Russ, the recent strong run and, and the way that the division's tightened up a little bit, does that maybe add any incentive to to making additions at the deadline every every piece of information matters and the next two weeks matter Um, and you know we're we've been encouraged by this team all year the outcomes uh, maybe don't match our excitement or encourage or how encouraged we are Uh, maybe uh, I don't want to speak for fans that might be similar Um, but We believe in this team, we believe in this group, and we want to make it better. How much more is the division back in play from what you've seen over the last two or three weeks here? Well, I I mean, I think you could look... You know, statistically, at that, I think we we benefit from our schedule. You know, albeit not easy, it, it will never be easy in the AL East with a lot of AL East ahead of us. Uh, but we had a rough run at the start with a lot of games on the road. We're going to be home a ton. Very much looking forward to that, and 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 feel like that is realistic. Now, <clears throat> it's not going to come without some exceptional things coming together individually and uh, collectively.
4: Us in awesome terms of adding offense, um, is there a position, um, handedness, skill set that would fit this team?
1: Not, I mean, not really. Like right now, as we're constructed, we are, um, you know, better better suited for a right-handed bat. But we are open to any way that we can make our team better. Um, so. <clears throat> but I, I think there might be a slight lean to a right handed bat, and we have the benefit of not necessarily thinking that it has to play a certain position because of the versatility that we have with Cavan var show wit obviously so
4: would you prioritize like some like a veteran that has has a lot of experience maybe coming off a bench and like in sort of high leverage roles
1: you're you're making this really difficult not to narrow it all the way down to exactly what we're trying to do <laughs> well that's no. my job i know i'm <laughs> kidding um, may, maybe a slight preference i mean really Um, Right now, as things stand today, there might uh, be a slight lean towards a really accomplished right-handed bat, but it's not a significant one, because there's there's a lot of different ways we could improve our team. What we don't want to do is subtract from it. We believe in the group that's here. We believe they've earned that right. Um, We can't say that we absolutely won't, but we would prefer not to. Plus, in
6: recent recent trade headlines, while you have gone the rental route, you've also been able... Uh, at times to kind of do some shop, get jump on your off season shopping a little bit. Uh, how would you uh, frame the sort of opportunities to maybe do some off season work at this yeah. time
1: as well? <clears throat> yeah, yeah that 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 would be great. Uh, the the challenge now is we don't have the holes, so we don't you know we we have really really good players at every position. And, you know, some of them um, maybe not be performing to their levels, but there's not a position where we're looking and saying we really need to fill that void. So that makes it more challenging. Um, you could acquire a player that comes into an awkward situation and maybe has more runway after the fact, but that's not our focus right now. But I wouldn't eliminate that from happening. You've uh, at previous times kind of wanted to create sort of
6: Surplus and talent on the roster, where you have more players deserving the bats and the bats. Yeah, give. is that how do you feel you are you're situated with that right now? And then how does that impact how you want to add some? Yeah,
1: of- I mean, every night having whether it's Jan or Kirk, um, the potential of Espy um, and and Cavan, you know, on, on the bench on any any given night, and having the versatility of of Cavan and Witt and Varsh is a good position to be in and uh, it's not several opportunities really seeing it as one for that final push where there would be uh, potentially not even every day at bats four depending on how we uh, end up making that move
4: I just had one non-deadline question, but I wondered your early impression, or somewhat early, I guess, mid-season impressions of the stadium, how it's playing, the dimensions, and mm-hmm. how that's impacted, if anything's surprised you or any takeaways.
1: Yeah, n- nothing has really surprised me. I think there's, um, you know, we haven't seen really much objectively. We look at every single ball that's hit to see whether it would have played differently in the past, and I'm sure a lot of you have done the same, and nothing has really jumped out. The biggest thing that has jumped out to me is, the smiles on faces and fans um, you know enjoying the different experiences being closer to players and uh, i think our players feel that as well
4: have you felt like it's been more skewing pitcher friendly than hitter friendly i feel like our early impressions were that it would be yeah a little easier to hit here but
1: I, I mean i think objectively that has been the case i think the uh, i'd rather take the case of the whole season though. So.
5: One last maybe deadline question just you talked about the robustness or lack thereof of the market are there a lot of teams
2: that are are saying that we're going to still use these last 10 days before we figure
5: out what mode we're in
1: well e- even you know we we obviously do this work and i'm sure you've done it as well but if you just look and see it all the teams that uh, are statistically in it are saying that they're in it and or saying that they are in somewhat of a weight mode it's it's over 20 teams that are that are in that category. So I don't expect that to be the case in 2 weeks. So the the that's why that's one of the reasons that the deadline usually the most action and the the flurry of moves happens just before it.
2: Yeah, but I, like all that stuff we can see that, that you can see but you're talking to them So like yeah. the same? Well, it's similar.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think there's there's a handful of teams that are absolutely articulating the relevance of the next 10 to 12 days you know they're saying this we really the next five to seven days and we'll have a better feel for it so
2: plus how did the workloads of eric swanson and nate pearson factor into your bullpen considerations moving forward um yeah did eric broke pretty much out of career high for out of the bullpen yeah
3: never having done this
1: yeah, I mean, if we had reason for concern other than and – I, and I think those bumps, those potential bumps are not too significant for them and the roles that they're used. And I think that Schneides and Pete have done a really good job with the support of others, obviously, uh, on our extended staff to put those guys in good positions to recover and be ready. It's not of some, something that we're concerned about.
3: Ross, do you see – uh, the catching position is somewhere you could have at the deadline? Or are you pretty solid with Kirk and Jano
2: right now?
1: No, we feel, we feel I, there's a, you know, obviously Kirk hasn't performed to the uh, level that he would like or that uh, the fans and we would, you know, we believe is coming. Um, you know, we in, in the office believe it's going to turn. He is such a good swing. Um, feel really good about the work he's doing with Hudge and Guillermo and Hunter. Uh, feel good about the things that he's saying so he's been a really really solid contributor as a catcher which uh, i could talk for too long about this but that is something uh, that we are exceptionally excited about and what gives us a lot more confidence that things will turn is hasn't impacted the teammate the defender the contributions are still really really solid for him no problem
0: All right, that was uh, GM of the Toronto Blue Jays, Ross Atkins, live from the Rogers Center. A little uh, pre-game, pre-festivities media availability before they get back in action tonight against the Padres after a disappointing loss last night. It's uh, Justin Cuthbert and Ailish Forfar here on Fan Drive Time for the next hour and a half.
2: Uh, I think we learned this yesterday. I mean, they keep Blue Jays reporters on their toes. 3 p.m., atkins media availability game doesn't start till 707 i mean that's a long day at the ballpark i guess we experienced that we were on at three yesterday Mm -hmm. uh we saw all those media members buzzing around but yeah cool that uh uh, Atkins, I, I guess, gave us something to dig into here. But yeah, it's a long day at the ballpark. Anyway, is there is there something you learned there? There's something that really sticks out to you after about 18 minutes from Ross Atkins
0: there. Okay, so we got some opportunity to hear about the priorities for the trade deadline. I think that's a big nugget uh, to, I guess, start to work through. But let's start with Manoa because that was the first line of questioning. Uh, something like Hazel May was asking uh, a couple of those questions early on about Alec Manoa. Obviously, we saw last night's game. It was... A step backwards. Um, We saw what we tried to maybe glean as a step forward against the Detroit Tigers. I still think it was, but we we set up the idea that it was a lesser lineup in a smaller spotlight. And last night was the opposite of that. The Padres are a good team. Like, I I know their record doesn't show it, but I don't really understand why their record doesn't show it yet. Because they have a, a lot of talent. And Manoa last night didn't have his stuff. And I think a lot of people are anxious about what Alec Manoa is going to be like for this rest of the season. And Ross Atkins didn't really give too much of that. Uh, Maybe that is a sign in itself, but saying that he's really encouraged by the body of work that Alec Manoa has done.
2: Yeah, I mean, the support from... All levels of the organization has been very strong and I guess unwavering for Alec Manoa throughout this entire season. I guess we really shouldn't expect anything less. But mm-hmm. yes, encouraged by the body of work is is something that you could quibble with. I guess if you're a fan of the Toronto Blue Jays or a Toronto Blue Jays onlooker, 100. Uh, percent I, I guess there could be reasons statistically or beyond statistics rather that you could see that encouragement. But I don't think you could be anything but discouraged if you're looking at this objectively and not a part of the organization. Mm-hmm. Last night, it was clear clearly a step back. It was clearly a return to what he was doing uh, before he went down to the Florida Complex League, and we don't really see what happened down there in Florida over that month's uh, time. Uh, but it looked like the same old Alec Manoa from the start of the season, which, of course, is problematic and warranted a demotion. However, what Ross Atkins just said is that he believes yesterday was a blip. Um, and I guess that is the overly optimistic view of things. But in terms of what stands out as a blip this season for Alec Manoa, it would probably be the positive start it against does. the Detroit yeah. Tigers. That is the one outlier because like it has been for the majority of this season, it was a struggle last night, 100% for Alec Manoa.
0: Yeah, that's simply stated. Uh, we'll have more time to chat about that. Uh, just to tee up our guests, we'll have Adnan Verk at 4.30, so we'll go into a bit more Alec Manoa. Uh, but Ross Atkins was asked about a six-man rotation. I think that's naturally where we can lead the conversation to it because if Alec Manoa is going to stay up, and I believe he probably will, whether you think that's the right decision or not. Uh You will have Hunden Ryu joining soon. It seems like he's right around the corner. you have a six-man rotation available to you. Ross Atkins said he'll see. You know, we'll see. Depends on the schedule. So not ruling that out fully, but also not uh, encouraging that that will be the plan of action. But there will be some decisions to be made, and it feels like a competition now. It feels like... Hunjin Ryu, Alec Manoa, and Yusei Kakuchi battling it out for some of those starting positions. But if you told me right now you had to pick a playoff roster, I know Hunjin Ryu is still around the corner, but I don't know my level of confidence of putting Alec Manoa on that right now, right? So I think that a six-man rotation could be something we see. He also didn't rule out um, fully looking for that moving forward at the trade deadline, but didn't seem to be uh, one way or the other saying that they are going to get a starting pitcher.
2: Yeah, didn't uh, tip his hand that way like he did with the offense, which we'll get to in a second. But the situation is generally what you want where competition dictates who actually pitches Mm -hmm. right like that's what you want coming into a season that's what you want in the midst of a season whatever sport you're playing you want competition at different positions and I guess there is competition for the fifth starters role I guess there's a possibility for a six starter or a six-man rotation but there are two complete unknowns here Mm -hmm. I mean Alec Manoa has not proven himself to has not proven himself whatsoever to be a capable contributor to this team. He had one good start. He's had one another bad start. We don't know what we're going to get, and it's a it's a roll of the dice every time you put him out on the mound, and will be for the foreseeable future. It was not a blip. Okay, so they have one option, maybe, and Ryu is one option, maybe. He has not pitched in a major league game in a long time. We don't know how it's going to look like when he actually sees major league competition. We don't know what it's going to look like at AAA on Friday night. So really, they have two options, but none of them or neither of those two are concrete in terms of, hey, we feel really comfortable putting them in the rotation and running with these five. So right now, there are options but there may not be a good option yet; that is still to be determined.
0: So, in terms of Ross Atkins' answers to some of these questions um, asked about what to do at the trade deadline, um, said they have it's good to have options, as you mentioned, depth internally now with Ryu and Manoa and, and Chad Green is progressing well, um, apparently. But you can never have enough pitching, and I think we can all agree on that. You're going to make a if you're going to try to go f- to the World Series, you can never have enough pitching. Um, Every team in contention right now sounds like they want to add relief pitching. You know, uh, his answer to that question about what would you be leaning towards was, you know, maybe a little bit of a left-handed piece. They're very right-handed in terms of adding some relief pitching, Uh, but a bit more honest or maybe more forthcoming about offensive additions, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, he's pretty, I mean, it maybe took a couple questions to <laughs> pry it out of him, but he did admit to, yeah, we could, uh, what would be the ideal addition to the offense would be, quote, a really accomplished right-handed bat that is pretty specific. Really accomplished, I guess, that is somewhat Open to interpretation. Is it someone that's pretty accomplished this season, and that they've had a really good season? Like
0: an older, is it a veteran
2: who has had years of experience, being a contributor to maybe a postseason team, maybe a World Series team? I I think that does leave room for uh, it does room for interpretation, but also wiggle room in that you know, accomplished is his own definition of accomplished. So, I mean, I think that all makes sense. Uh, A right-handed bat, impacted bat, if you want to do impact over accomplished, I think that works too. Someone that can be slotted into this order Someone who can give them a look that they're without suddenly after an off season where there was a pretty big makeover from a lineup standpoint where they had a priority of bringing in left-handed at-bats and maybe they're not as accomplished as we thought they would be at this point in the season. But yeah, I think uh, it was no secret really that a right-handed bat makes sense and at least Ross was able to acknowledge that.
0: So the the main overarching theme that I got from the, the end of that press conference and it seems to be around the MLB was that these next two weeks matter to everybody to at least 20 teams as Ross Atkins put in that are kind of in contention, kind of waiting to see how they're, you know, the 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 chips fall here in the next week, the next series, the next home stand. The Blue Jays are in a similar opportunity like if they're going to be buyers and I think we we can agree that they probably will be, um at least from what we're hearing and where they're at statistically. A lot of other teams are in the same waiting game. Like what can you do over the next 5 to 7 to 10 days to put yourself in an opportunity? that you might be able to pounce on something bigger? Um, what holes you're seeing? Because, you know, I think before Alec Manoa's start yesterday, we were like, oh, maybe you don't need a starting pitcher, right? Like Maybe may- you have too many starting pitchers. Maybe you have too many. But now, after seeing what Alec Manoa was unable to accomplish last night, I think there's still that in the back of your mind lingering. What are you going to get from him for the rest of this year? If he is a fifth starter, that's fine. But that wasn't what we saw last night. How many more opportunities is he going to get before we see a comfortability that that fans have, that the staff has, that the team has, and putting him in a position where you need to win a game? It is like scheduled losses at this point. And you can't have that when you come down to games where you have 15 games against the AL East to wrap up your season, right? So I think major questions still loom about Alec Manoa and Hunjun Ryu, of course. So these next five games, these next 10 games, for everybody matters, but it really feels like for the Blue Jays, You don't want to have to think, we need to get three things at the deadline. We need pitching, we need relief pitching, we need bullpen, and we need a bat it'd be nice to solidify that you only need one or two and not three, because that's a lot when you don't have a lot of prospects to trade.
2: Yeah, I think it depends, uh, clearly depends on what we see from Mino and Ryu over the next couple of weeks here. Like, that is... I mean, we're kind
0: of running out of time, first, though. We are like. running out of time,
2: but first and foremost, I mean, w- they have to define themselves as best as possible. Right. But then I think you're setting sort of the expectations after that. Are you looking for someone who's going to be impact in the playoffs, or are you looking for someone who's going to get you to the playoffs and do the fifth starter thing where it's just making Sure, it's not a scheduled loss every mm-hmm. fifth day. I, I do think those two things are different, and those two things may be different, uh, majorly different in terms of how attainable they are. To go big game hunting and look for the Stroman type, who's going to pitch the second game of a wild card series? Yeah, you're probably going to have to outbid a couple teams in order to get that done. But if you're looking for someone that's just going to hold you over, tied you over every fifth day because Manoa and Ryu are not options for you, then maybe it's a little bit more attainable and realistic that you're going to be able to get that person into the fold. Uh, I think everything still is on the table, at least from a pitching standpoint. Of course, the bullpen could always use an arm. I mean, we were talking to Shulman about Nate Pearson yesterday, and then Pearson has a brutal outing just along with (laughs) Manoa. Like, I'm not convinced they're talented enough in the bullpen yet. I still think they could add an arm back there. It may have been, but I think it, it, it depends, right? And if you could just get Ryu or Manoa to get you through every fifth day, focus on adding to the bullpen and focus on that, quote, really accomplished right-handed bat, mm-hmm. then it may not matter so much that you don't have Alec Manoa or Hunjin Ryu in a playoff series because you've already got four pitchers that have proven to be very reliable and very good so far into this point this season.
0: Okay, so uh lots more time to to set up tonight's game uh to recap last night's kind of disaster really in terms of the Blue Jays performance. We'll have Adnan Verk on at 4:30. We'll have Will Lou joining us at 4 to talk some more Raptors Summer League recap. Um he's got some hopefully some truths on Siakam because we've been seeing a lot of rumors about Siakam. We want some truths from Will. Uh, we will talk to Luke Fox um, after we take a break because there has been the Samsonov arbitration numbers are now public. Uh, they're a little bit far apart, <laughs> to say the mm-hmm. least. Um, so, I mean, is it, that's kind of the natural way. You want to value yourself higher if you're a, a player and you want to value yourself long, lower if you're an organization. And then you meet in the middle. So is that the way things are going to go? What's the hold up with Nylander and Austin Matthews? Um, but I guess last night, yesterday at the ballpark, we need to discuss... Justin Cuthbert had his very first loony dog ever.
2: Yeah, I did. And I got, I got like a little beef with uh, Jay's Talk Plus today because Keegan Matheson on with Blake and they're mm-hmm. talking about, hey, like what's going on with the numbers here? Like how could the count go up possibly at 5.15 in the afternoon? Well, I know how. Justin Cuthbert and Nailish Forfar having hot dogs 5.20 and open. watching the count go up that as we purchased. That was actually really fun. As we purchased the dogs, we saw it go from what, 9... To 10, 11, yeah. to 12. We saw, it we saw it change because we purchased the hot dogs and we ate the loony dogs. And I got to say, it was my first. It won't be my last.
0: And you said, and I, I purchased it for you. I, I really splurged. I went, out, very, I went out and I said, let me get the tab for this one loony dog. And you said, after you ate it, you know what? I, I, I might go get another one. And I, I was, I was really pretty hungry, pr- though. I was really proud of you in that moment. It meant a lot to share that experience with you. And I'd just like to say thank you for choosing me.
2: It came out about 10 minutes after I decided I was a little che- too cheap to eat the media
0: meal. Yeah, we don't need to bring that one up. Um, but yeah, last night, uh, the, the highlight of the night might have been um, Pete Walker versus Malachi Moore. That's not a great way to feel about your Blue Jays team when the highlight is your uh, your, pitch, your pitching coach getting kicked out. So
2: no, that was uh, that was yeah. In terms of what got me most interested, I guess it wasn't. It. Uh, it was a tough night yeah. to say the least for the Toronto Blue Jays,
0: and tough because they had an opportunity to to make a little uh, headway because everybody else lost last night: Yankees, Orioles, Rays, Red Sox, all with. Big L's last night. It's okay. And, take some salts in that. And your Blue Jays also got one. So uh, we'll keep teeing that up tonight. You got Jose Barrios on the mound, um, hopefully for a bounce-back opportunity. But we'll take a break because we're going to talk to Luke Fox on the other side, some Leaf updates, and a look around uh, what the holdup might be in terms of some major contracts that need to be signed. It is Fan Drive time with Justin Cuthbert and Ailish. Four of our Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan Drive Time. Ailish Forfar, Justin Cuthbert, Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Blue Jays back tonight. We'll tee that up. We're gonna shift a little Leafs though, because we are waiting for any singular piece of information about your Toronto Maple Leafs, and we might have got something.
2: It felt like a bit of a leafy day. Did it? it got a little leafier than normal? Just
0: a random Wednesday, July 19th. Felt leafy to you. I love More it. More
2: leafy. It was leafier than let's say July 13th. Was. Okay.
0: I love that we're getting closer. So I mean that that might be what you need. Uh, let's chat with Luke Fox of Sportsnet. How's it going, Luke?
6: Good. How are you guys? It's uh, kind of funny not talking to you
0: in the morning. I but, know. Do we um, sound different?
6: I, I can I can adapt. Yeah
0: hmm. I, yeah. You guys sound more awake. We're, yeah, you yeah. can adapt. We're
6: struggling to adapt.
0: <laughs> it is different for us too, uh, but we're happy to have some actual information to go on uh, this uh, this afternoon with you. So we saw the short-term uh, information here with Samsonov. Team arbitration number was 2.4 million. Player arbitration number 4.9 million. So it seems far apart, but I guess that's kind of what you do in arbitration. You don't, you know, battle over 10 bucks. Um, so these numbers coming out. Uh, how do you think this is going to play out?
6: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it should be any surprise. I mean, this is kind of the normal uh, part for the course. The team goes something that's probably quite a bit too low and the the player asks for quite a bit too much and they're going to end up settling in the middle. Um, So the arbitration case is set for Friday, but that doesn't mean they can't still continue to negotiate. And generally, it's rare that the sides don't, you know, come to an agreement uh, a day before, two days before on the steps. We just saw Gabe Velarde and the Jets came to an agreement. Ross Colton had an arbitration with the Avalanche, and they came to an agreement. So just because you file for arbitration doesn't necessarily mean it's actually going to go in front of the arbiter. Uh, I think it's in the best interest it, for Samsoff and the Leafs if they can find an amicable, amicable number somewhere in the middle, 3.5 five, whatever, something, something in that range. Um, because the moment you go through an arbitration case, it's pretty nasty stuff, right? You're like the player's sitting there and he's told why he's not worth X. And, you know, he's arguing his case. And it, it just becomes a, a bit of a, a distasteful process for both sides. Um, so I think it would be in the, in the best interest of everyone if they can try and sort this out before. It goes Friday, um, but my, the way I see it playing out is, is probably something short-term. The Leafs don't want to give them something long-term, so maybe it's it's two years, uh, maybe it's as low as one, um, and it probably starts with a three.
2: So if it does go the distasteful route, if it does go the distance, uh, is there a winner in arbitration? Like If they actually go through with arbitration, is it either 2.4 or 4.9, or can they meet in the middle that way as well?
6: No, no, the, 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 the arbiter, t- you know, and the, the ruling won't, you know, just cause the case, if they go do the case, the, you probably won't hear the ruling for a day or two after. And absolutely, um, you know, the arbiter can find a number in the middle. It's not either or.
2: Okay. So that's good to know. Um, the other part of this, of course, is Matt Murray, um, of course, um, going to arbitration with Samsonov opens up maybe the second buyout window. So there, you mentioned how it's beneficial to the Maple Leafs, and that's part of the reason why. Um, but if we set aside Murray for a second, assuming that gets handled, the idea of having Samsonov and Wall for maybe a combined four point five million ish—do you think that's like one of the big positives moving forward for the Maple Leafs if they have a goaltending tandem at about that number, or? Is there concern there if you're running Samsonov and Wall for such a short number? I mean, the short number is a good thing. But if you're running those two goaltenders out there next season, do you have confidence in it?
6: Yeah, you're right. Like, Do you have as much confidence as as if you're addressing Vasilevsky or Ilya Sorokin? you know, or a tandem of, of, of Swayman and Allmark? No. Um, you know, it's, it's not one of the elite goaltending tandems in the NHL. Um, and you're not paying elite money either, you, but for bank for your buck, I think it's fine. And it's also something that, you know, you see it play out for, for, you know, half the season and maybe you need to make a move mid Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be your tandem heading into the playoffs, but, what I do like is the fact that joseph Wall has, has earned an opportunity in, in my mind certainly to see if he can be uh, at number two for a full season um, you know and as far as Stoff, he's coming off the best season of his career he he bet on himself, took a a pay cut from what he was making his final year in Washington, and he turned in a, a really fantastic season um, one of the the better performances um for for the Leafs in the net mining position in a long time Uh, you know he yeah he battled some injuries and he had the odd dip but uh his numbers were strong uh you know he, he he was a great goalie now can he play 50 games 60 games like true number one carry the load and alleviate some of the pressure on wall uh, who is still relatively unproven, although he's shown flashes that he could be an NHL goalie, he's still relatively unproven. I don't know. You know, I don't know if Samsonov's a 55-start guy. He hasn't, he hasn't done that in his career just yet. Um, but what are you going to do? Uh, the, the only other option would be to make a major splash and really, you know, sell off pieces and try to get a UC Soros or a Cotter Hellebuck. I mean, there are goalies that would give you a lot more confidence, but they're going to cost you. So this is kind of the safe, smart, easy bet for now. Um, And, you know, it's something that if it's not working, they can address uh, a mid-season via trade.
0: Yeah, that tandem seems to be the way to go. Um, And I guess naturally that means there's one man out, and that's Matt Murray. And I wonder for you uh, how this is going to resolve itself. Um, There's a lot of options, it seems like, and a lot of uh, routes you can take, but which one do you think the Maple Leafs will go down?
6: I think the easiest one to take would be the buyout route. I thought it was very telling that when we spoke to Brad Tru Living at the NHL draft, he said, No, I'm not going to use the, the first buyout window, but there is a second buyout window. Like he brought that up in his, in his answer back in June when we were talking about, about buyouts. And of course, when you're talking about buyouts in the Leafs, there's only one obvious candidate. Anyway, um, so that I thought that was really telling. And during his tenure as the Calgary Flames general manager, he used that at least twice, maybe three times, the second buyout window. So it's kind of a, a tool that, that he has liked to use in the past. Now, what you cannot do is buyout uh, an injured player. Um, so I think it's important to remember that when Matt Murray met with us, uh, reporters, at the end of the season, he asserted that he was 100% healthy, even though, you know, they didn't use him in the playoffs, but he said he was good to go and good to play at that point. Now, because of his, his history with injuries and concussions being one of them, is there a doctor out there that that would say that, that this guy's uh, too hurt to play? Maybe. Um, and in which case, you could probably throw him on LTIR uh, the way they, they're, they're going to do with Jake Muzzin again. So um, that that could be an option. The other route is, you know, Putting him into a trade to a team that has cap space, probably a rebuilding team like a like an Anaheim or a Chicago or Arizona or something like that, and attach a sweetener. But the Leafs are running out of sweeteners. I, you know, <laughs> as an observer, I wouldn't want to see them attach another valuable draft pick. I, I think too many of those have gone out the door. The buyout, if you look at it, um, is probably the smartest route. It's uh, it's not that costly. Um, the first year of the buyout, I think, is less than quite a bit less than a million dollars on the cap the second year i think is is two point something it's a little bit more um but that's in a year where the the cap ceiling goes up so it's it's a a palatable buyout it's not going to cripple them so that that to me seems like the most logical outcome here
2: yeah, it does. It's also a year, though, where you're going to have a new contract with Austin Matthews, maybe with William Nylander. Things are going to be pretty tight with the salary cap, even with with it going up. Although, you know, on the last year of John Tavares at $11 million, it might be a bit of a read-through season anyway. So uh, we shall see because this season, of course, is of utmost importance. I guess the scariest thing, though, Luke, would be like temporary health because if you can't buy him out because you can't buy out an injured player or you can't really define Matt Murray. Is that where it becomes like a, a really big problem where he's kind of healthy, but then he's not, and you can't go the route you want because he's available at this point? Like, is that something we're, we're trending towards or it could be a possibility? Or will Matt Murray define himself in terms of, I guess, health this summer?
6: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's up to the player. And my my knowledge of the situation is this, this guy is still in his 20s. Uh, still wants to play, still has the competitive fire. Yeah, he's been through the ringer in, in terms of injuries, but you know, I know that he's been training this summer. He's still in the city. He wants to play. Um, so whether that's with the Toronto Maple Leafs or whether that's somewhere else, that's yet to be determined. But I, I would be surprised if the player has to agree, like Jake Muzzin, to be on LTIR has to agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't feel ready to play. If the player argues, he can't be shipped off the robot Island. He has to, he has to be on the program. But if the player wants to play hockey and my, my sense of the situation is Matt Murray still wants to, to have a career, uh, then it doesn't work. You can't stuff a guy in, on injured reserve. If he's saying I'm healthy and I want to play.
0: Okay, so um, still a lot of dominoes to fall, and I feel like the one that is uh, causing a little bit of tension in Leafs land is obviously William Nylander in the contract hold-up, um, considering sounds like things have maybe come to a standstill. Uh, what are you hearing on William Nylander and the discussions with Maple Leafs and his camp?
6: Yeah, a, a lot of nothing. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of the same. Just, <laughs> it just seems like a, a stalemate, right? Like, mm-hmm. he wants something that starts with a 10, they want something that starts with an 8. That's a a gap too far to bridge right now. Let
2: of this thing. Meet yeah, the middle. Just go uh, to middle.
6: Well, yeah. There's no arbitration for for guys that have one more year left on their contracts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you know, all the pressures on the GM, the player, his deadline is next July one. There, there is no incentive other than, hey, yeah, I want to drop my price and be a good guy and take take something a little more team friendly and and let's help the Leafs and uh, let's calm down the, the fan base. That that would be the only incentive. Otherwise, Nealander has proven in the past uh, that this guy has has no problem taking this right down to the to the bitter end. So all the pressure shifts on on the general manager. So he has a choice to make. Either he succumbs to the players' wishes and gives them, uh, you know, bumps up the Leafs' offer into what the high nines, something like that, and and try to you know bend that way or uh he gives some sort of ultimatum and say this is as far as we're going to go and if you don't meet us here we're going to have to explore a trade or you say you know what William Neander 1 year 6.9 million dollars we're tight to the cap there's there's some value there let's let's start training camp with the player uh you know it's like Think about it, if he wasn't signed and they they at least signed him to a one-year $6.9 million deal, that would be some value, just like people are seeing the value in the one-year deals for Domi and Bertuzzi. Um, So there is a case to be made for, you know, just starting the season, letting it play out. The next real pressure point at that point would be the trade deadline. And, you know, do you think you have a championship team? Do you want to move this guy before the deadline? Because otherwise... You're you're staring at a summer where it could be Johnny Goudreau all over again. And you have to imagine that Trey Living's experience, not only with, with Goudreau, but Goudreau's agent, Louis Gross, who just happens to be William Nylander's agent, is going to inform his decision making over the next few months when it comes to this player
2: yeah that cautionary tale scares me uh for true living specific because i think and i'm still of the mind that wasting 6.9 million dollar the last time he will ever be priced at 6.9 million dollars would be the worst thing the maple leafs could do if you're trying to win a stanley cup this season which you are trying to do like I, i wasting that trading that away to try to optimize or to try to take care of two, three, four years down the line just seems like a really, really short-sighted decision, and I hope Trel Living's history does not influence that because if you got to be all-in, go all-in on the season. You've got a lot of one-year deals and a lot of reason to be all-in on this year uh, because it's it just is what it is. With the cap changing, uh, the cap complications of next summer, it just feels like wasting Nylander at $6.9 million would be a huge mistake. What do you see as... The as Austin Matthews' role in all this, because we've been hearing all summer long that, yeah, the Matthews thing isn't really a problem. Maybe they're waiting on Nylander. Maybe they don't want to show their hand while they're still negotiating with Nylander. I, I to me, it's just reached the point now where. Let's just show some leadership here. And if you're Austin Matthews, and if you do want to take concessions, put it out there, talk to Willie, and be like, hey, what are we doing here? Do you want to be teammates? Do you want to run this back? Do you want to do this? Because this is what I'm signing for. Maybe I did give up a little bit. How about we all give up a little bit? Even if it's not to that extent, I just feel like William Nylander's not in the Matthews ballpark, and what Austin Matthews does doesn't really influence him in terms of driving his price up. So why don't they just get on with it in terms of Austin Matthews signing this
6: deal? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, And the fact that Trey Living has seemed to shift his focus from Matthews to Nylander makes you wonder if he he doesn't have a good sense of what Matthews' number is going to be. And he's not as worried about that. And maybe he has a number at three years, four years, and five years, and it goes up a little bit with each of that. Maybe he has a general sense. uh, And maybe he wants – the sense, I, I think, is he wants to get Nylander signed first before Matthews because Nylander, like it or not, whether it's fair or not, he's going to compare his AAV to Matthews. I'm sure he's looked at Marner and Matthews and Tavares and been like, okay, maybe I don't play center, maybe I'm not as good defensively, and maybe I should be a bit lower than those guys, but I shouldn't be 4 million lower than than some of those guys. Do you know what I mean? Like, Like it or not, he is comparing himself or maybe it's his agent in his ear, or the people in his ear. But they are comparing themselves to the other Leaf stars. Uh, that's what happens. And you know, if you're if you're true living, you're saying don't don't compare yourself to Matthews. Compare yourself to Timo Meyer. Compare yourself to to players like you around the league. He's probably you know pointing out the Pierre Luc Dubois contract and saying, here's a young center. Yeah, maybe you score a little bit more than him, but he's better than you defensively. And uh, you know that's kind of the ballpark we see you in. And, again, it comes down to there's no pressure point on any of these guys to put pen to paper yet.
0: Yeah, a lot of them focused on winning negotiations over maybe winning uh, games. Um, maybe
6: maybe Matthews has called him. We don't know. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe he has talked to him behind the scenes. Yeah. We don't know. That is like, true.
2: But, like, it's just, it's just reached the point now where it's like no one's fooling anyone. Like, Matthews is not going to be – they're not going to – Matthew's not going to sign a couple days after Nylander and be like, wow, we tricked you there, man. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. Like, it's, that's not the reality. You know, they it's... are their own cases. And if Matthews is willing to give something back, it only makes sense to show William Nylander that he's done that.
0: And maybe he isn't. And that's probably. And maybe, maybe that's, that's just the it? issue
2: and what we're going to have to move on because this is the last year we're going to see these players play together or even you know, we might be done with that already. So that's, that, that is what it is. Uh, we got to run, Luke. Uh, we appreciate okay. the time. Of course, we will catch up with you again before the summer is up. Hopefully we have something to dig into before that.
6: All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Luke. Great day. Okay.
2: Luke Fox okay. of Sportsnet. Always a pleasure talking to Luke. We got to hit a break. We have a busy four o'clock hour. William Lou and Adnan Burke. We will do that next.
0: drive time. Justin Cuthbert, Alish for far sports at 590. The fan final hour here and we don't have to work tomorrow because the Blue Jays play during the day and I guess that's what happens if uh, you're on drive time and the Blue Jays play at 1 p.m. You just don't work.
2: It's one of the little benefits of drive time. It's kind time.
0: of a nice perk, eh?
2: It's not bad. We'll take it. It's not it. bad. I'm still, I'm still convinced someone's going to be like, we got several alternate streams that you're going to have to broadcast <laughs> yeah. from. Mean? But we we'll, you You guys we'll are on all
0: day, actually. Until
2: I'm told. Streaming. We'll just, we'll
3: just leave it as is.
0: <laughs> on YouTube. Um, all right. Our guy, Will Lou on the show with us now, uh, host of the Rapper show with Will Lou. How's it going, buddy?
3: What's going on? I finally get to talk to you guys, not during Demon Hours. Yeah.
0: Like, so... you don't have sleep in your eyes. Like, you're wide awake. What's going on?
3: Well, I never have sleep in my eyes when it's uh, eight thirty when you guys call me. Yeah, in the morning, true. I know you guys probably do. No, but. no,
0: no, you're always ready to rumble. Um, but are you jet lagged right now?
3: Am I jet lagged? Uh, no, no, not really. I mean, it's like three hours. Like, you're I, a pro. I, you got you got jet lag from three hours. No, like, I used to you go don't. to China and like that was like a jet lag. It was like twelve hours. It's like all right, it takes, At like, it's night
0: day. it's just yeah. the, everyone. It's the opposite world. <laughs> It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it how night, it works night, over yeah, there on the yeah. uh, on the other side of the world that is the opposite time um okay i'm yes, glad indeed. that you're feeling good um summer league we got to talk to our girl katie heindel from there um i need to know the sphere the sphere tell me yeah. about the sphere did you go did you touch it what's inside are you obsessed with it like me
3: i did not i did not go but it's like right there right so you like see it as soon as you walk out of the arena or if you are on the strip it's like I mean, it, it's cool. Like, yes. it's it's cool just looking at it. Um, it, it changes obviously quite a bit, and uh, what? They rep- spent like billions of dollars making that thing, but apparently, like you too is going to play like the first show. Oh, it's like so open cool! It. it does look really cool. Like, it U2? seems like a, an awesome place to actually see like an actual concert. I bet yeah, there will be a raptor show so
0: popular, live but... from the Sphere one day.
3: Uh, yeah, it might be the IMAX Sphere <laughs> at the Ontario
2: Place. <laughs> <or> whatever, <laughs> they're bringing that back.
0: Isn't Ontario Place getting a facelift too? Uh,
2: might be a touchy subject. Ontario oh, place. Never
0: mind. The, future, the sphere is the best. <laughs> anyway, okay. How was summer league? Uh, what What do you love when you go down there? Uh, we've never been, but we see the hype. It seems exciting. It seems fun. It seems like a mix of work yeah. and play.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I think I th- this being my first time going, I think I definitely overdid it on the work. I think I probably like balance it out a little bit more. But I mean, <laughs> realistically, it's like it's like a, how would you. It's like a buffet. You know what I mean? So it's like. You're just kind of there and then there's two gyms and you're not seeing like the top NBA players. You're mostly seeing like first and second year players, obviously, and then a whole bunch of guys from overseas or in the G League or just coming out of college undrafted who are trying to make the team. And so it's a bit of a thirsty environment too in mm-hmm. terms of the players on the court are trying to get a job. There's people in the building trying to get jobs with teams. Like the amount of times people just walk up to an executive and <laughs> it's like, hey, here's my resume, here's my portfolio. <laughs> there like, I saw one guy Schmoozing. come up and was like, yeah, he was like, "Yo, you know, like, can I, you know, do you have scouts in Russia? Because I could be, you know, you're your guy in Russia." He and does. I'm like, well, "When was the last time we had a Russian NBA player?" But yeah. you know what? I suppose shoot your shot with the Raptors. <laughs> Maybe they will draft a Russian guy someday. But like, it, it's a lot of that. But more in between is just like basketball in one gym, basketball in another gym, constantly happening. And so it, it's it's definitely a, in terms of a fan experience. I think it's like. Yeah, yeah, if you if you ever just wanted to just sit in a gym and watch 10 straight hours of basketball, like this mm. is your this is your spot.
2: That's interesting. Like a big networking event, which kind of seems like my nightmare. Uh I, I didn't really think about it that way. But yeah, it's just like if you if you want to meet basketball people, uh hang around those gyms and you may be in luck. Uh you might have been in luck to see Victor Wembayama at some point, although it seems like uh part of the storyline with him was, hey, we're gonna take it easy with old Wemby. Uh oh. were you able to see him in action? And what's sort of the spectacle when Wemby is uh moving around Vegas?
3: Okay, so I was there for game two. That's the game where he had 27 points and 12 rebounds. Game one, obviously, he struggled a lot. I mean, he had a lot of blocks, but I mean, clearly, he wasn't really scoring much. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think with Wemby, the first thing that really strikes you is just like the physique. Like, he's it, tall, he has eh? an eight-foot wingspan. <laughs> like, he's seven foot five, and then when he's just standing still with his arms at his sides, his arms are touch- his fingers are touching his knees at oh, seven foot cool. five. So his wingspan is like literally the biggest ever in the NBA. And in terms of skill-wise, like, I think a couple of things will come, but realistically, because of how tall he is, um, you're not going to be able to contest a shot. And it's not one of those tall guys, you know, that we have seen over the years, like a uh, Manute Bull or, um, you know, George Marison or, or other players who didn't play for the Washington Bullets, I suppose. But, like, guys, guys who are just, like, super big but don't really have skill, like, he moves around well, he gets to his shots well, and... Yeah, I'm not totally sure like what you're supposed to do against him. I think right now he's gotta add strength and bulk. He's got a bit of a slimmer shoulders, got a little bit of a slimmer vibe. Guys kinda of, like get around him a little bit. But I don't know. A put back dunk for him is like he jumps like five inches off the ground. I'm not even kidding. And the ball looks like tiny in his hands because he's also got like gigantic hands. Um So, yeah, I mean, I think already he's got to be like must see basketball in terms of just like, you know, when he is in town, you got to make sure you see him because he's so unique from all the other players. And the skill set will continue to round itself out. I think he's got a pretty good uh, amount of it right now. Defensively, he's clearly going to be like a huge difference. But again, like, it, it's a eight foot wingspan, people. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's, uh, yeah, he, he's, yeah. I mean, it's like he could hug, like he could, like hug, like an entire minivan. It feels like it just, he's,
0: <laughs> that's a, he's that's
3: ridiculous. a visual. You have yeah. to see. It's, it a, person, it's a good skill yeah. to have. It'll come in handy. At some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. It's a big basketball <laughs> skill, hugging minivans. Um,
0: all right, so you got some first impressions of uh, them, the sphere. Uh, but how about uh, your Toronto Raptors? Not a great showing mm. at summer league, but some first yeah. opportunities to see Grady Dick, uh, um, Marquise. Noel and maybe some other faces so uh what are you gleaning from the newest Raptors
3: yeah I mean you know look with all due respect to the other players on the team I think most of the team was put together for Grady to to you know acclimate himself with his first taste of uh, professional basketball and I thought Grady had lots of good moments I thought he had lots of bad moments um he didn't shoot the three that well overall but I think he got clearly got to his shot um, he was able to hit a variety of shots, whether that's sort of uh, off the dribble and pulling up in the mid-range or coming off of screens, full speed and shooting or in transition and shooting. Basically, he was not turning down shots uh, at any level. And, you know, there were some games that were pretty fun to watch. In particular, I think him in game three, uh, he matched up with Asar Thompson, who was the fifth overall pick uh, to the Detroit Pistons. And Asar is like six foot nine, super quick, super Like agile, um, especially for his size, athlete. And so, like, first play of the game, they got Grady coming off a screen and Asar, like, leaps out of nowhere and blocks the shot. And it was like, oh, man, this could be a long night for Grady. But he really adjusted. And I thought for the better part of three quarters, he did a really great job of getting open and getting great looks. And unfortunately, in that game three, Grady... Missed, like, probably four open threes, including one that could have sent the game to overtime. He also had a key turnover there late. And so, you know, he, he may play playing mistakes as well. But I, I thought, it you know, just watching him get to his shots, like, this is the type of player that the Raptors, A, haven't drafted pretty much at all in the 10 years that uh, Masai and Bobby have been at the helm here. And I also think that in terms of skill-wise, like, that's some, something the Raptors don't have a lot of is, is a guy who can really shoot it off the move. Um First impressions of him, he's got to get stronger. Um, I think building his endurance is going to be pretty important because he's going to be running like circles um, around everybody else if, if he's going to try to get open. And uh, I think he has a good sense of how to cut, how to move, how to get open already. But I think the better he is in terms of his conditioning, the more effective that style of play becomes. Um, so I thought Grady, I thought Grady showed, you know, pretty much exactly what you wanted to see out of him. I think you probably wanted to see him shoot the ball. Like at a higher clip overall, but realistically it's about getting to his shots. And I thought he he did a great job of that. Marquise was a little bit more up and down. He had some really quiet games, but also at the same time, really, really crafty playmaker. Um, for a smaller guard, you know, he's able to kind of oh. like slither and, and dart into like these small gaps and touch the paint consistently. And then he's typically like a pass first kind of guy. Wouldn't really expect him to like score in bunches that much. He can score, but it seemed like in the summer league setting, he was definitely looking to get guys involved. And shooting and, sh- and scoring was always sort of like a secondary backup option. Like, I-, I thought probably he would use the first 15 seconds of the clock to try to get something open for his teammates. And if not, he would do something with the last, like, you know, five, six, seven seconds. And so that led to his overall field goal percentage being lower. I mean, him being five seven, like it's like exactly the opposite of, like, Victor. I actually want to see no, Marquise and Victor stand side by side in a game. Maybe recreate the uh, Mugsy Bogues uh, bull bull or Manute Bull photo. That's kind of infamous. But like, he's five foot seven, and even interviewing him stuff. I'm like, even seeing him in person. It's like, yeah. I mean, it, there's going to be some challenges that comes with that. But I, what I like about him is he's got like a ton, a ton of confidence. Um, and I'm not saying you got to be like a little bit like overconfident to make it work at that level, but you kind of, you kind of do, right? Like you really do need to approach the game really confidently. And, uh, he has that. And also he's a really crafty passer in terms of the scoring. It's gonna be a little more difficult because obviously he's five foot seven in, in a league where the average size is like six, eight. So, you know, you're at a disadvantage every single time. Um, I mean, we already saw a little bit of that with Fred, who's like a typical six foot player. um, Five foot seven is going to make him, you know, have to take deeper threes to get separation to get the shot off, or have to take more runners and floaters in the lane. But um, we'll see how that all progresses. I mean, he's probably more likely going to be in the in the in the nine hundred five system, mm-hmm. uh, at least for this year. But uh, I mean, that that's pretty much about it. Unfortunately, the rest of the Raptors summer league guys didn't show too much.
2: Uh, instead of the Wemby photo, I thought you were going to say you wanted to see Marquise Noel try to hug a minivan uh, and see what that would look I- like. He might have to hug a biker's on something like a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, that might be the truth, unfortunately. Okay, so uh, you mentioned a lot of conversations. If there's a lot of networking, networking happening, there's a lot of conversations around the floor. Uh, and, of course, a lot of people were going to be talking about Pascal Siakam. Did you learn anything yeah. about the Pascal Siakam situation while you were in Vegas?
3: Yeah, um, honestly, quite a bit because it was definitely like at least the conversations that I was trying to get into um, that was, you know, a key point of interest and um yeah I mean I was able to speak a little bit to both um you know Pascal's side in terms of his agency and also talking to the Raptors side in terms of the front office um and look I mean whatever they're not I wouldn't say they would give me like the perfect information on either end to be honest but at the same time my sense of it was you know there was serious trade discussions um that the Raptors held with other teams um I think that uh, that was the, I mean that was basically why Pascal wasn't there at Vegas. He's been at Vegas previous years. The kind of an analogy to draw there was sort of a couple of years ago you saw Demar DeRozan going down to Vegas for Toronto, and then he even had a conversation with Masai and was like, "Hey, am I getting traded?" And Masai was like, "No, man, you're good. Don't worry." And Nick was talking about how he's going to make Demar a much better defender, and then all of a sudden, a couple of days later, we know what happened with the Kawhi trade, right? So. Having seen and being his teammate for that and also been Jakob Pearl's teammate for that because he was the other part of that trade back then. Um, you know, I think Pascal was like, look, listen, there's just no need, you know, and to, especially if I'm going to be in these trade talks to go down to Vegas and have this sort of whole thing be a distraction. So um, I think there were legitimate, you know, the, at least the Raptors were looking to see what the offers were and then and had discussions. And then ultimately they didn't do any deals. I think that's probably, I'm being told that it's like being held off for now. Um, in terms of just like, maybe we'll see something happen closer to September or October if something does happen. But realistically, there's nothing imminent, Um, even though there were discussions around that. And yeah, I mean, there's obviously lots of curiosity. Like it's, I, I think, you know, the, the three biggest conversations down there were probably like, you know, is anybody else going to jump in for Dame alongside mm-hmm. of Miami? Is anyone else going to actually try to get James Harden who requested a trade by opting in, which is odd? You know, it's a weird way to ask out is to pick up your option uh and then the whole situation with pascal which i think maybe coming into it it wasn't like the biggest piece of conversation but you did hear a lot of smoke and um you know i think unfortunately um you know that's also one side of this is just like there's a lot of talk but ultimately how many deals actually get done Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah for now i I, i'm I'm not anticipating anything imminent at least that's what i've been told
2: So clearly uh, loyalty or the lack of loyalty has to be something that Pascal Siakam's thinking about a lot here, what his future might entail, what it's all going to look like. I I wonder with that in mind, like he can't be thinking about – team first or the Raptors first he's got to be thinking about himself first right now so I wonder in your mind what do you think's the best thing for him because clearly he can do one thing for himself which is to get all NBA to play at an elite level and earn himself the opportunity to sign a Supermax so if that is the number one priority because clearly the team has not shown the same loyalty that he's maybe willing to give the Raptors Where do you think like what situation lends itself best to that? Is it playing for the Raptors and being, I guess, the focal point, even though they might be leaning towards OG and Scotty Barnes and, and, and the next wave of talent? Or if he did get moved, even if it's just a pit stop, if does that team present the best place for him to put up the sort of numbers where he can get paid the way he wants to get paid in the future?
3: Yeah, I mean, look, listen, obviously, if the Supermax were a possibility for him, I think that uh, he would request it. Uh, I think part of him not signing the extension last summer when it was offered to him uh, was that uh, there was a possibility of going for the Supermax because he was coming off of the All-NBA season last year. Um, but I don't think it's like, oh, I'm only going to stay in Toronto because I, I only want to chase the Supermax. I think it's like he genuinely wants to stay in Toronto. I think if it's a regular Max, I think that's – pretty amenable deal um and i also think that you know even with the front office going through all this in terms of talking about loyalty like yeah i'm sure like this is unpleasant to go through um you know i'm sure that uh it's, it's just not great to be speculated over or like not necessarily understand like where your future is going to be but i mean part, that unfortunately is part of the business and, and that's part of like what the money is for right and that the raptors ultimately come back and say at the end of the summer like hey here you go Here's the four-year four max extension, not the super max. So, you know, we're talking, like, four years, 190 instead of, like, five years, 250 or 260 or something like that. You know, are you going to sign it? I think he'd be amenable to signing that. Um, and also, you can kind of put aside some of the hurt feelings. If he gets traded to some different places, I mean, yeah, look, listen, um, he. I think that's one of the difficulties in terms of the Raptors if they want to get full value on this because um, Pascal, going into the last year of his deal, like, you know, it, he doesn't, I mean, realistically, like, Indiana has a good situation, but, like, getting traded to Indiana, for example, like, is Pascal going to re-sign in Indiana? Or is he? if he were to go into free agency, would he have Indiana circled as, like, the biggest spot for him in free agency? Probably not, right? Or, like, some of these other places that have been rumored, right? So um, I, I think he, he, the, to the degree that he has some control over where the, the places that he ultimately goes, I mean, you know, you can essentially put the word out there that like yeah i mean like i don't really want to resign in these certain places or pretty much i only really want to resign in toronto and again i think the interest in toronto is real like i even Mm. remember like the day of free agency when it first opened which is typically a very nerve-wracking day like um pascal was in toronto taking meetings uh you know on behalf of like the various charitable foundations that he's got um, or initiatives that he's trying to under, you know, go here in Toronto over the summer, and like that's like the day of free agency, like the afternoon free agency, he's taking meetings, uh, to benefit his charity, uh, in terms of initiatives here in Toronto. So I think that the the, the, the investment that he has in Toronto is not just like oh, okay, this is where the supermax could be. I don't think the supermax is going to be there, um, even from Toronto side of things. If they're if they're looking for trades right now, I don't think a year later, if he has an all NBA season and is eligible supermax. And they haven't, for some reason, uh, talked extension before that. Like, I, I yeah, I, I think even at that point, I think the front office is probably like, listen, I, we still don't think you're a Supermax player. So I don't think that that offer is there. So, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess this is really just like how um, this stuff typically works. And uh, I think the good thing is that we have a really good player in Pascal who is willing to stay in Toronto. And mm. I'm not saying that that's the only thing that you can do in terms of just re-signing them, but unless you got a great trade with some kind of prospect coming back that's kind of really overwhelming, or even a pick package coming back that's amazing, and by the way, we haven't heard anything of that sort in terms of the rumored trade, uh, you know, packages, then why are we not just re-signing them? I think that's for me like the, the confusing part. I think the front office actually has a fairly simple decision to make. They've done the you know outlook. They've they've asked around. And the trade offers aren't great, so you lock up your star player. Like, it's not – I mean, I'm not saying it's not that difficult, but it is, (laughs) on the broad strokes, fairly – And if if you decide to trade him, you decide to trade him
2: after you've signed that contract, Exactly, and
3: and now you get full value on the player because he's now not coming into the last year of an expiring deal, so –
0: Chatting to Will Liu, hosted the Raptors show with Will Liu. Um, Okay, so every day on Twitter, there's a, a new Raptors connection report rumor. Today's was Io Desumu. What mm. do we know about him?
3: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I like him. Uh, what former, former second round pick? I think he mm-hmm. played in the Chicago area. Played then for the Bulls last couple of years. Um, he's had some decent games against Toronto. I wouldn't say he's a strong shooter at all, but at the same time, you know. Um, long active defender you know can probably play multiple positions but primarily i I would say has played as a point guard as a backup point guard like i think for the raptors like well he he's believe restricted um but i mean listen you can sort of work out a sign and trade he obviously the chicago hasn't signed him chicago signed a couple of backup Mm -hmm. point guards already um, both this year and last year. So, yeah, I mean, if they want to move on from him as a prospect, I think Toronto would fit pretty nicely for him. I think the one thing is you would like to have more shooting from the guard position, but I think he fits a lot of other things that the, the Raptors want to do. And And quite frankly, there's not a lot of great backup point guard options or even starting point guard options for the Raptors currently. So um bringing m- more guys with that kind of skill set could really work i think it would probably have to be a trade though i mean the raptors only have like minimum uh, contracts to offer and so i i don't think io should take the minimum and if that's all it takes to keep io i think chicago should just keep them but mm-hmm. yeah if you can work out some sort of sign and trade if, if the bulls like somebody on our on, on toronto's roster toronto's got a lot of fours chicago has a lot of guards makes a lot of sense to balance out the roster
2: uh, last one for you here, Will. I'm not sure how much Darko overlap you had down there, but of course, it's new coaching staff almost all together. Uh, are there stark contrasts between how things ran or looked with Nick Nurse compared to what this the new vibe is from the coaching staff, at least in what you were able to see at that uh, court they built in a hotel lobby?
3: <laughs> yeah, they, they, this is like three years out of the last like four. I think the Raptors have built mm-hmm. a court uh, in, in a hotel lobby uh with the pandemic season and then the Tampa season and now um here in Summer League it's i mean fairly unique honestly i think i think other teams are probably going to copy that same strategy going forward cuz it does save a lot of time in terms of having to go to the gym and back and all that kind of stuff but you can literally just go downstairs in the hotel um yeah i mean it's it's hard to say i mean it seems like Darko was really well liked um you know there were a lot of people coming up to him and congratulating him you know i saw him have long convos with you know lots of you know team execs and things like that from other places and what cam johnson uh who's now with the brooklyn nets you know he that's a player that he coached uh in phoenix and um, so you know they had a they had a chat probably both guys probably offering congratulations getting cam i think signed for like 80 million um so pretty good business all around for everybody but yeah i mean I didn't get to speak directly with darko um in the summer league setting i, I don't think he was made available too often um, but I got a chance to speak with, with, with you know, several members of his staff, and they're pretty excited. I think they, I would say there's like a, I, either like a mandate or like a theme, uh, let's say, maybe if you want to say it's more genuine, but it's just like everyone is a little bit more enthusiastic and um, not necessarily like forward thinking, but also just kind of like, look, you know, like we're, we're here, we're going to play through the uh, mistakes, and also we're going to be really positive about it, so That was definitely the biggest vibe I got from uh, what's going to be probably one of his head assistant coaches um, in Pat Delaney, um, who actually did the head coaching for the Summer League this year. But Mm -hmm. yeah, Darko's been around. Darko's been working out with some players as well, directing some of the uh, practices as well during Summer League. So it's not like he's like hands off on the situation, but he's around. And um, I think everyone's curious. And I think, you know, Dennis, I, I spoke to Dennis, Dennis Schroeder. Um, on the day he got signed, and, and he had a lot of great things to say about uh, Darko. He even said that, um, you know, with all due respect to Billy Donovan, but when they were in OKC, he said basically Darko was already moving like the head coach in terms mm. of having his hand in so many different things. Um, so, I think he's interested to, to to reunite with Darko as well.
0: All right, well, well, appreciate you jumping on. I literally just on my phone got a, a notification that the Raptor Show newest uh, podcast was just released, the July Banter Pod. <laughs> Like right when we were signing off, it popped up. So look at that timing. Everybody can. Uh, there you go. After we're off in thirty minutes, go the listen to that. Are listening folks, to you. <laughs> appreciate yeah, it. Yeah,
3: just a caution. That's going to be like twenty percent Raptors talk and eighty oh, percent. like that's all right. What I did in Vegas. We and, like that. Uh, we only
0: got a little bit of Vegas. Will. So we want the real scoop. Get that at the uh, Raptors show where we get your podcast. Will, thanks for jumping on. We'll chat with you soon. I right, appreciate you guys. That's Will Lou, host of the Raptors show with Will Lou, and you can check that out on anywhere you get your podcast, it just was released seconds ago. So go scoop it up.
2: Do we have time for golf picks quickly?
0: I think we have time for golf picks quickly. Um, It is the open. I think maybe my favorite behind the Masters really? is the Open. It's just okay. beautiful. We're going to wake up and have beautiful morning golf, and that is what I like.
2: Yeah, the time's a little complicated for me, but it is it is nice. I do, I do love it's it. It's
0: always just stunning, too.
2: It is very beautiful.
0: Nice. Um So the Open picks, we'll do our five-pack with the Canadian, and uh, just a quick update on the Fanex Cup standings. Sure. Ailish is ahead uh, by a slight 15,250 to Justin's, Two thousand.
2: So more than thirteen thousand dollars. I need to make up here. I and need to hit a one thirty yeah, to one.
0: You're struggling, but you don't need to get it all in one. Like well, just.
2: I I understand that, but now I'm one, kind of pot yeah. committed to the strategy where I kind I can't really nibble. It's all good. I'm not going to nibble for the rest of the year and catch you. So let's see if I can hit a long shot. I'm here.
0: on a hot streak. Uh, Rory McIlroy won my pick for last week, so I will kick it off though, and I'm going with someone that I feel the most confident in, and that is. Young Victor Hovland. Really? He will be my first selection. I'm very happy I get to get him first because uh, I think that everyone's big on Hovland this uh, time around, and so am I.
2: Okay, uh, that's fair. Uh, I'm going to go and start with 50 to 1, Max Homa. 50 to 1, Max Homa. This guy is going to win a major eventually. Maybe it's this one. If it is, I will have a fighting chance down the stretch. Of this PGA season,
0: okay, wow, I'm getting both my top two picks off the leaderboard here, and I will be going with Tommy Fleetwood. I'm loving him. He's twenty two to one.
2: You continue to believe in him. It's not happening. Was he
0: not there in the final uh, moments? Has he won
2: on the PGA Tour? He
0: has th- uh,
2: hit me with a to- stop.
0: uh He has three top six finishes in the last four outings, That's... and he's won hit top four finishes in his last three open. Championships, so that's, he likes that's it here. Wonderful.
2: Good stat. Good stat. It
0: is good. Go ahead.
2: Uh sixty to one, Justin Thomas. How is Justin Thomas sixty to one? I know it's not been a great year, but I will take him because he wins majors. He wins golf tournaments every now and then, something Tommy Fleetwood doesn't do. So sixty to one, Justin Thomas. It's
0: time for Scotty Scheffler to win something. He's the best golfer he, in the he world. He hasn't already. And no, this year it's time for him to win this one. Okay. And he's uh plus seven fifty.
2: I will stay in the fifty range. Justin Rose will be my next pick. Brit. Of Brett going,
0: we're just cooking here. Nufa had no overlap. Um, you know what? I I'll just take Corey Connors now because he's going to be my Canadian. Okay. Uh, eighty to one. Uh, people are liking him. Hey, what What do you need to do to win this tournament? Uh, be good on getting the ball in the fairway, and he's good at that. So
2: yeah, that's something that uh, Corey can do. I will go Min Lee, my guy, sixty to one next.
0: I did see a lot of Min Lee online.
2: You're doing research for this, eh? I'm just I'm streaming. Why do you think I'm
0: winning by so much? Because Taking I do some picks? research.
2: Okay. What's your next pick, then?
0: Um, Okay, so I got two more. Um, I am liking. I don't care if I win by big money, but I'll take (laughs) Rory McIlroy. He's hot. Take Rory McIlroy. Plus 750. Like, you got to take the favorite. Someone has to. Keep
2: nibbling. Okay, here's the one that's going to get me right back into this thing. Denny McCarthy.
0: Oh, I had Denny McCarthy written down. Good for you. The
2: best putter
0: Yep, On tour what you need.
2: is Denny McCarthy, he 125 is. to 1. Denny gets me back Denny, into this
0: thing. I this like weekend. Denny McCarthy, but I wasn't bothering to pick because it would be embarrassing if I continued to win by that much. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take Dustin Johnson. Okay. I'm going to take one of the evil Dustin Johnsons.
2: Okay, I'm looking for my Canadian. I'm looking for my Canadian. It is not exactly jumping off the page. 350 to 1, Nick Taylor will well, be if my If you get Canadian. that, buddy, you go.
0: you're good. Um, okay, so I got Hovland, Fleetwood, Scheffler, Connors, Rory, and DJ. What a beautiful lineup I have.
2: That is a good lineup. Uh I got Homa, I got JT, Minwoo Lee, I've got Justin Rose, I've got my boy Danny McCarthy, and of course, Nick Taylor.
0: I hope you win something, Justin, because it's getting to Thank be you, uh unfair. I also hope I win something. Okay. We're gonna take a break. We got Adnan Virk after the break. Let's talk a little. MLB whip around. What do you make of Alec Manoa last night? Yikes. That's next on the Fan Drive Time. It's fan drive time. Justin Cuthbert, Alish Four Fire, SportsNet Five Nine Fan, wrapping up our Wednesday. Big day off for the kids tomorrow. Blue Jays at one PM. So yeah. Yeehaw, we're hitting the links. Hopefully I might have a injury that might prevent me from playing tomorrow but we'll
2: we're less than 50 percent chance we'll get
0: there we'll chat about it after we don't keep adnan virk waiting our buddy our two weeks in a row we get to chat with adnan virk uh, a little afternoon delight and i hope you want to come on with us in the mornings next week because we're off this sucker soon How's it going, Adnan?
5: <laughs> For now, I'm thrilled to be with you guys. Ailish and Justin, a pleasure to reunite. Back-to-back weeks. Let's keep the mojo going.
0: What a blessing we have uh, to have you on the line. To talk a little Alec Manoa. Ooh. Uh, last night, maybe a little bit less of a step forward and maybe a jump backwards. What did you make of uh, Alec's second start since the uh, demotion to the FCL?
5: Well, it's obviously disappointing, and you look at what happened, and listen, Alec Manoa is a good guy. Everyone knows that. He's great with the media. He's been great with us here at MLB Network. He's great with the fans. He loves the city of Toronto. I interviewed him last year. He was praising not only our city but also our country, but it's been astonishing just how poorly he's pitched this year. And I think that they made the right decision to send him down, Right, take a deep breath. We've seen that before with Roy Halladay. Go all the way down and kind of build yourself back up. But I was really surprised – Aylish and Justin, they got called up so soon. I thought, give him a little bit of time. I said July 20th, he'll come up and do two starts. And they go, okay, do we need another starter or not? Or is he back? And I'm not saying back to being the guy was a year ago, third in signing a voting, but can at least be a number three or number four starter? The three of us know Gossman's the ace. Barrios, three and a half year, he's back to being a very good number two. So he can slot in with Bassett and Kikuchi's been better than expected and Ryu coming back at some point. Let's go from there. Instead, they call him up, and I got it. What they were doing was, hey, face that toothless Tigers offense. Uh, That team has an anemic offense to third in runs per game. Face them and look good. That will give you confidence going into the All Star break. That's exactly what happened. He looked very good against the Tigers, shut them down, had a week to feel positive about himself. But then he faces a legit offense of the Padres. And again, they're very top heavy, they've got their stars. Nobody loves Nando more than me. Tatis is hitting 340 this month. Uh, Machado's hitting 340 leads. All the majors with nine home runs this month. But after that, you get to your Hassan, Kims, your Jake Cronen, where it's not a lot of guys are hitting. And instead, Manola got roughed up. And the issue remains, guys, the control. Like right away you see five walks. You go, that, that can't happen. And that was really his c- c- issue before. In talking to a lot of the four major league pitchers we have here, Al Leiters, Ron Darlings, et cetera, they said it's not necessarily stuff. Dan Plesak, former Blue Jay, it's mental. Manoa's just, he's nibbling to it. You've got to attack the strikes and attack it with ferocity and trust your stuff. And yesterday, he did get squeezed by a couple of calls. You know, I was watching the game, Malachi Moore. That should have been a strike three to Soto. Instead, gives mm-hmm. up a two-run home run. The great P. Walker goes out there, argues his case, gets tossed first time since last June. But you've got to overcome that kind of adversity. And the Jays are left wondering, can Manoa get back to being who he was, or at least a semblance of who he was, or do they have to go get a starter? And I think the jury's still out couple more starts to the trade deadline, but if he can't be the guy, they got to go out and get a starter if they feel like they really are a championship-caliber team.
2: Uh, Yeah, you mentioned July 20th as something that made sense to you. I I do. There's one thing that I'm quibbling with when it comes to the process. Like, yeah, I understand bringing him up for the Detroit Tigers, maybe a bit of a soft landing. It worked beautifully, but guess what? You spent 11 days not pitching after that start. And it's like, what were we really expecting yesterday? you are thinking about it. Okay, maybe someone's lost their driver or something. And that might be me who loses their driver all the time. You do lessons for a month. You get it to the point where you like your driver again. You have one good outing. And then you put the driver away in the garage for 12 days. What do you think's going to happen next time you pick up the driver? Like, I'm not saying that he didn't do any work over the 11 days. But I think he did what all major leaguers do, which is take major league breaks during the All-star break, and it just seemed to me like, why didn't I see another stat line there? Why didn't he go pitch somewhere during that week to stay sharp? That is the thing in terms of process that bothers me. Did that stick out to you? Because we've asked a couple people that, and they're just like, no, I mean, he's a major leaguer. He gets the the all-star break.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think it should be the thought process being that you have a positive result. Who cares how many days you're off, whether it's three days, seven days, ten days, you can at least bask in the fact that you got sent down to the lowest of the low, at least as a major league pitcher, but you rebuild yourself. You had one terrible start, then you were great in double A, struck out 10 over 5, and then against the Tigers, a major league offense with good players, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, you looked really good. So I think more than anything, they are trying to build up Manoa's confidence, Justin and said, listen, you're still the guy, you can still be the guy, have a good start, and then for 10 days you're basking in the glow of proving you can still be a pitcher. Whereas if he had just stayed in the minors, and then had the break, kept working on stuff. There's still those doubts that could have persisted. I think that was a soft process. I don't necessarily quibble with it. Again, if you're asking me, I would have waited a little bit longer. I would have made sure he was totally ready to go. Kind of like what the Yankees are doing with Aaron Judge. Aaron mm-hmm. Judge has hit BP on like three straight days. I feel like he probably could DH. But like, no, no, let's just wait. July 28th, big series, Yankees-Orioles. August 3rd will be two months since Judge has been out. Like They're erring on the side of caution. At least from my perspective here in Caucus, New Jersey, it felt like it was a little bit rushed to get Manoa back to the majors.
0: Okay, so what's the trickle effect now in terms of Hanjun Ryu is on his way up and might be uh, a couple of days away before we see him, um, and then the fact that they're going to maybe make a decision on adding an arm or not in the starting rotation when the trade deadline rolls around in less than two weeks. So it seems like there's a lot riding on if Alec Manoa can be Alec Manoa and kind of the, the time is
5: ticking to find out. Without question. Because if Manoa can be the guy that that solves so many problems, like I said, he could be a number four Behind mm-hmm. Bassett is a three, ahead of Kikuchi. And Ryu is now your sixth guy, right? Like, And there's nothing wrong with a six-man rotation, especially for two months of the year. Like, late of the year, the gosmans and the Barrioses can get a little bit tired. So you don't have to keep using a five-man rotation, especially since they've gone four-man rotation with Manoa out of there and had a couple of bullpen games. So nothing wrong with skipping a start or two for your horses if indeed you have six starters that you can ride all the way to the playoffs. But if Manoa proves and his next start, and the starter for that, that he can't be that guy. And Ryu comes back, and he looks like a shell of himself, and you've got to go get a starter. I'm telling you, Ailish, every Blue Jays observer that I have talked to, every person watching this team, every expert goes, they're at least a starter away. Mm-hmm. And probably another bullpen arm to get them to Swanson and then Romano. And other than that, the offense looks great. Like, you know, they have been inconsistent at times, but nobody doesn't believe that they can't be an elite team. I don't think they were going to catch the Rays, but I also didn't think the Orioles would catch them. And guess what? Right now the Baltimore Orioles are a half game back of the Rays, who are 500 teams since June 11th. So crazy things can happen. The Jays can't get hot and make a run, perhaps towards the division. More than likely they're a wild card team, but they've got to get another arm, whether it's Manoa, Ryu, or somebody they get on the trade market.
0: Chatting with Adnan, Virg, MLB, and NHL Network in the Cinephile podcast. You got a Super Bowl of Cinephile uh, work this weekend, I'm sure. We'll get to that. Um, So I'm going to ask you a question, and it might change in the next time we ever speak, but the pieces of the Blue Jays, (laughs) A, want, need, and are a luxury. So if you can put one in each of those buckets, need, want, luxury.
5: Uh, So which need are we talking about?
0: This is all trade deadline needs, something that they need. Yeah, so
5: I would say, yeah, I, I would say their need is their starter, no question about it. <laughs> they need a starter. Whether or not Manoa can be that guy, that remains to be seen. But they need a starter. I think that is critical. I think they want a, another bullpen arm, as I said, to help out mm-hmm. and relieve a little bit of the pressure on Swanson and Romano. By the way, saw Romano at the All-Star in Seattle, great guy. Actually, you've got to answer the eternal question. Romano versus Romano. I want to see Romano because Ray Romano. But Dan Schulman, who's a genius, calls you Romano. We well, just say said, one Canada?
0: each episode of the show, and then you know, one time we're right, one time we're wrong,
5: whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he said in Canada it's Romano, in America it's Romano. <laughs> I said, well, I'm Canadian, but I'm working in America. So I'm going to stick with Romano. And he goes, sure, done. Call me Romano as much as you want. So I think we could use somebody to help out Swanson and Romano. So need what was the third one, Ailish? Luxury. Luxury, go get another bat. Why not? Who cares? I right. mean, I mean, especially sometimes you forget when you look at this lineup the fact that Brandon Belt is a DH. Like he's done some things in this league. You know what I mean? Like their outfield defense is great because of Varsho, Kiermaier, and Springer. Uh, but I go ahead, get one more bat, why not? A little bit of protection. And it doesn't have to be like an everyday player because they've got so many different guys. But let's be honest, Alejandro Kirk has disappointed as a catcher. Like, I thought he'd be a stud, and in fact, he's been a bit of a, a, bit of a disappointment, right? They, they dealt Moreno to the D-backs, who hasn't hit, but he's tremendous defensively. The guy's got an unbelievable arm for the Diamondbacks. Jansen can fill in here and there, but their offense is at times a little bit worrisome. So go ahead. Get one more bat. That's your luxury. I think you need the starting pitching. And my want is one more bullpen. Or...
2: There you go. Uh, Ross Atkins ta- uh, spoke to the media at Rogers Center just after three. Talked about uh, a potential luxury item. Saying a really accomplished right-handed bat might be in the future yeah. uh, for the Blue Jays. So interesting to track that. Uh, I'm talking, to, well, you know, we're okay, we got need wants. We got luxuries. We need a team. Is there a team that makes sense? An ideal trade partner for the Blue Jays? Is it someone who might just be not in involved in any way with the potential Shohei Otani sweepstakes. Is there a team that makes sense in terms of a trade partner that has some of the things and would be willing to part with some of the things that the Blue Jays will be looking for?
5: Well, I've been very entertained just by these Cubs rumors. You know, Marcus Stroman, the show show returning to Toronto (laughs) where he starts so many days at the Rogers Center. I don't see it happening. I don't think Stroman has any acrimony towards Toronto, but I just don't know if the Jays want to bring him back. Maybe he didn't leave on the best note. But Stroman's top five in the ERA right now. The guy has been terrific. And I think the Chicago Cubs, if they're smart, they realize that they should sell because he's got a three-year, $71 million contract. He's going to opt out after this year. The Cubs have not exchanged in an extension. So I think that that's a situation where you start to say to yourself, you know what? Maybe Strowman's days are ticking, and he could be a guy. By the way, I was saying to my brother who's a Cubs fan, you know, five years, $100 million. He goes, no, he's more than that. He could get $30 million a year. Mm. So forget about whether or not Strowman's your guy long term, but get him now for a couple of months. He's pitched in Toronto. He's been successful. He has confidence. To me, that makes total sense. And by the way, while we're at it, trading with the Cubs, let's go ahead and get Cody Bellinger. Bellinger, now I know Ross had mentioned a right-handed bat, but Bellinger's a left-handed bat. He's back. He's hit 203 over the last three seasons. And all of a sudden this year he's hitting over 300 and he's got his power back. He's back to being a guy who's a former MVP. Like if the Cubs are smart – you know, trade him now. Like, who knows if he starts to fall in the tank and the Blue Jays go, you know what, maybe at the Rogers center he'll continue that home run stroke another left-handed power bat. Again, he's very good defensively, but he can also be a DH, so you know what, I, I would call the Chicago Cubs and say, how do we feel about Stroman and Bellinger? What can we do to make this happen?
2: Yeah, right is a little interesting because I, I think you could add a lefty at bat and maybe replace Brendan Bell third in the order and feel pretty good about the addition or upgrade that you made. Okay, so we had an interesting conversation yesterday with Barry Bloom of Sport who suggested that a team that pays Shohei Otani what he's worth and whatever that is, maybe $60 million a season, we don't really know, is going to have a really difficult time making that back up. Uh, We always thought, or we were working under the inception, that anyone who lands Shohei Otani is going to have a windfall of cash arrive at their doorstep because he is such a marketing marvel. Uh, Do you agree with that? Do you think a team is going to be, willingly taking a deficit if they go out and and purchase Shohei Ohtani in free agency? Because we know about or we can speculate about the trade value right now, but the market value in free agency, like uh, maybe that dwindles the teams, but I just, I, I can't really get behind that. I think wherever Shohei goes, the money is going to follow and it will be of the rich, uh, the richest of the rich are going to be the ones involved when talking about Shohei Ohtani, regardless if you're going to make money on him or not.
5: Yeah, I'm with you, Justin. I mean, no matter what, he's getting a windfall, and I think the team will as well. I mean, I would have originally said 10 years, $500 million. He just turned 29 years of age. That takes him to 39, but who cares? Maybe it's 13 years, 600. I have no idea, but the point is 500 feels like a benchmark. Now it feels like $600 million. My man Harold Reynolds, we're doing an MLB tonight, six o'clock Eastern today. He said it could be a seven. I'm like, that's insane. Like Mike Trout gets four hundred twenty-seven million dollars as the biggest contract in all the sports. Yeah, but we've never biggest contract, at least in terms of baseball. He says, well, we've never seen anything like Otani. Otani's numbers this year, as you guys know, he's on pace for 60 home runs. He's got better numbers than Judge a year ago. If you look at his on-base percentage, his slugging percentage, and his average, Judge has hit like 285 at this point. Otani hits 306. As Dan Plesek said to me, that's the most shocking part. Of All these guys hit home runs, but a ton of swing and miss. He's still a 300 hitter and can still slug. And by the way, he could strike out 250 batters. Like it's mm-hmm. mind-boggling. He's essentially Judge and Cole together. So if Judge is $40 million a year, nine years, 360, he is a 30-year-old, and Garrett Cole got $36 million a year, $324 million, we'll do the math. Maybe he is a $70 million a year guy. I don't know what the answer is. All I can tell you is that Otani is a supernova. He's incredible to watch. We can never tire of talking about him. Whoever gets him is going to be thrilled. And as I sit here right now, I can't imagine it's not the L.A. Dodgers. I think he wants to be on the West Coast. It's a three-hour flight to Japan. It's sunny SoCal. Who wouldn't want to live in Los Angeles? And he'd go to a team with a winning tradition. The Dodgers win, man. Every year they win the division or they're in the playoffs, and they've won a World Series recently, and they've got more money than anybody. Like, it's an absolute no-brainer. Like, I laugh at these thoughts of maybe Seattle, maybe the Mets, maybe the Yankees. Are you kidding me? Otani is going to go to the Dodgers. Why wouldn't you? Give me one reason he wouldn't sign with the Dodgers. Again, proximity to Japan, more money than anybody, a great team, and stars around him. He's got Mookie Betts, our boy Freddie Freeman, Clayton Kirscher, you name it. So. I don't know. I don't think the Angels trade him, by the way. I think the Artie Marino says, you know what? We'll keep him. He'll be an MVP. He'll be one of the greatest Angels ever. One of the greatest losers mm-hmm. ever. Excuse me. One of the greatest players ever will be an Angel. He'll have won two MVPs as an Angel. I'll take all the revenue from the next two months. I'll take a home run pursuit. i trying to take down Aaron Judge's AL home run record. I'll take all that money I'm getting from Japan. And he'll just sit tight and say, maybe I can re-sign him. And he won't be able to. He's going to go to the Dodgers. But I don't think he trades him When but it's all said and done.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because, again, to our conversation yesterday, uh, Barry said that the thing that the Angels, the best business decision for the Angels would just be to hold on to him and to continue to profit while you can on what would be this legendary season. However, I'm going to choose to try to ignore that because I want to see him traded. I want to see what a package may look like. I want to see what Shohei Otani would look like this October playing Major League Baseball. And I want to dream about the possibilities that Shohei Otani can bring to the table if he is in fact dealt, however, we've got to get to the price and what that could actually look like. So if he is traded, what do you think it will look like? What was what it going to require in return to pry away Shohei Otani in the immediate term?
5: Herschel Walker type trade, which you guys sound young, so you know what that means. It'd be like an eight for one, three top 10 prospects. I think three everyday players. And Bo Porter, former manager of the Astros, said to me on MLB Network a month ago, and I love this idea, he said, if you're going to trade Otani, if you want him, Guess what? You also have to take Rendon's contract, which I said is brilliant, because money's not the issue here. You're going to trade for Otani and then try to sign him for at least $500 million. Well, guess what? Here's another $200 million (laughs) in the albatross that is Anthony Rendon's contract. Now, I don't think any team is that crazy, but I would love it from the Angels' perspective, because all of a sudden now you, you just turn the franchise around. You can get three elite prospects, a few everyday players, and you get out from paying Otani potentially $50 million a year and Rendon, who's just been an absolute disappointment, $30 million a year. Like that to me would be brilliant. So I would think it'd be – originally I would have said, Justin, like two top prospects, two players. I think it's three top prospects, three players, six for one. And if I was already Moreno and Perry Minaj, I'd say, guess what? you got to take Rendon too. And I think that would be a trade I would make.
0: What do you think makes more money, uh, Shohei Otani or the combination of Oppenheimer and Barbie this weekend?
5: <laughs> I'll still go with Otani. Oh, it's going to be close, wait. though. <laughs> no, I can't wait. You know, I went to my local theaters 10 minutes away here in New Jersey. And I went, I was, you know, you know me, I'm going to go opening mm-hmm. day. But a buddy, old buddy, wife from ESPN wants to watch it with me because we watched Dunkirk together on IMAX, of mm-hmm. course. The great Christopher Nolan film. She said, I'll drive up from Connecticut. I said, OK, just for you. Although, to be clear, I'd rather watch movies by myself. <laughs> I don't have to wait for somebody else. But OK, fine. So I went to the theater. He said, I can only do it Sunday. I just purchased yesterday. This is five days in advance. A Sunday, 6:30 p.m. IMAX show. It was already 70% sold out. I go, this is incredible. And the guy told me, he goes Friday sold out. Mm-hmm. Most of Saturday sold out. I go, that is incredible. I love that for a three-hour film <laughs> about a guy who built the atomic bomb. This isn't exactly a Marvel movie. So God bless Christopher Nolan for mm-hmm. getting people back in the theaters. I think he's a brilliant director. Although the other day someone said to me, he's never made a bad movie, and I scoffed and said, well, how do you explain *Tenet*? Because that was not a good movie. But there's no question, The Dark Knight, uh, Dunkirk, Inception, and of course, Memento, one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. The guy's a brilliant director, and the reviews have been off the charts, so I cannot wait. Sunday night, I will have the review, of course, in of file. Mm-hmm. And Barbie, uh, by the way, Ailish, I mistakenly called it Boppenheimer on my <laughs> podcast. It is Barbenheimer, as you said it. That's it. it. I, my wife wants to go see it, so I'm going to go see Barbie on Saturday afternoon. Nice. I've already got the babysitter lined up, so I love Margot Robbie, fellow Canadian Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be for Barbie fans, which is to say primarily female audience but also a little bit subversive, funny. You know, Greta Gerwig, of course, directed it. I love what she did uh, with Lady Bird and Little Women. So I've got pretty high hopes for Barbie. I think it's going to be a fun movie and a good summer movie. And so Barbie and Oppenheimer, it's going to be a great one, too, Saturday and Sunday for me.
0: Woo, it looks like Shohei Otani's pitching on Friday. So there's your trio of three things to watch <laughs> <Wow>. this weekend. <laughs> a good uh, weekend. Adnan, we love talking to you the last two weeks. Appreciate you coming on and enjoy the weekend.
5: All right. Thank you so much, guys. Make some room for me in the morning. Hopefully, we'll talk Ooh, to you soon.
0: We'd love to. That's Adnan Verk, MLB and NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast, which will have lots of content coming up because it is Barbenheimer, is what they're calling it. The debut of these two movies going head to head. So okay, it's going to al- be crazy. We're
2: almost at the end here, but I've got the, got the quickest of hypotheticals for oh, you. boy, here we go. Let's say the Blue Jays wanted to involve themselves in what? An eight for one type of deal <laughs> for Shohei Ohtani, the rental. Yes. if the it's, rental. If it is Alec Manoa plus. Morelvis Martinez, plus Ricky Tiedemann, plus name your next best five prospects.
0: Do they you, have five uh, prospects? Are you doing
2: it? Are you doing it?
0: I'm, I would do anything to get Shohei Otani, but I don't think that that's even close enough to the price. And Adnan said, like, you need three prospects, three players. Take this ma- well, that, massive contract. No, I laid it out. That was it. That was it. It's not enough.
2: It's not enough. Okay, it may not be enough, but would you do it if that was enough?
0: Who would say no to getting Shohei Otani?
2: Well, you're, you're, the, you're a World Series team, right? Are yeah. you not? If you make that trade? Live a little. I'm, I'm I'm all the way there. Blair are coming
0: in after, and I know they listened to this part. So I That's hope fine. they're not embarrassed. They're not, not
2: going to talk a Shohei Otani
0: trade. Oh, they better. I'd of love to they know will. what the the experts think.
2: You're no, you're embarrassed by my suggestion. It's just a I hypothetical. would say yes to
0: anything. I would give up my job and your job for They Shoe. win they
2: win the World Series if they make that trade. Probably. Who knows? That's why it's got to happen who because knows? it is such a ridiculous um, addition to your roster that anyone who actually does it. Has got to be thinking to themselves they're going to win. Shohei's got to get traded. I need to see it happen.
0: Okay, well we got about a week and a half till we find out. Uh, we got Jose Barrios, you Darvish on the mound tonight. Blair and Barker will take you into the evening to tee up tonight's second game between the Blue Jays and the Padres. That's it for us. We'll be back on Friday on Fan Drive Time.